Well, I invite you again to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 23. And we're dealing with a, the question of authority, uh, Jesus' authority. And authority is a big issue in our culture today, isn't it? People don't like authority in any kind of sense, whether at work or in society, in the law, whatever, Uh, or elders of churches. It's an issue, isn't it? Uh, But the one authority we need to know about is that of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's read 23 down to 32. When he, Jesus, entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he, as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven? Or from man? And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we if I say if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowds, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Father, as we come to your words, and thinking about, to think about it, we pray once again that you'd open it up to us and that we would see it clearly and not simply intellectually but in our hearts, in our affections, in our wills we would respond rightly to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen already that the Bible is, is full of uh, imagery, images, um, ideas and those images are used to communicate uh, eternal, uh, eternally significant matters. Uh, so the Bible uses this picture language often. And, uh, and last time we came across this, uh, this fig tree. And Jesus cursed the fig tree, remember? Uh, he walked by, he's hungry, and uh, there's no fruit on it, and he curses it. Uh, and... Uh, and it's kind of, it was kind of, what it, the way I described it then last week was that it's a, a kind of enacted parable. 
it really happens, uh, but he's acting, so, uh, he's acting something out, he's performing something to demonstrate and create, uh, create, um, create a message by what he does. And in doing that, in cursing the fig tree, he spoke prophetically against the Jews and Israel at the time. Um, and the evidence for uh, that, the need for that curse was what came earlier in the temple, where instead of it being a house of prayer for the nations, it had become a marketplace uh, where it was trading done. And it was an abomination uh, to any right-thinking person. And so we, we thought about last time that how this fig tree, uh, how, the, how it's used in the Bible, how it's used in the Old Testament, it's used along, often alongside a vineyard. So a vine or a fig tree are kind of interchangeable ideas. And the idea is that in the Old Testament, the Bible, God speaks about his people as this, either this fruitful tree that he's planted or a vineyard that is going to produce grapes, a crop of grapes and produce wine. And God has therefore saved his people in this way so that they become abundantly fruitful. This is for Israel in the Old Testament. They become abundantly fruitful and, be, and receive God's blessing. And this is God, as it were, uh, tending to the, vi- the vineyard or tending to the fig trees. You remember in John 15 that, that when Jesus talks about the, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Well, what is, how does he describe the Father? Uh, I'm the vine dresser. God, the Father, is the vine dresser. And that comes from the Old Testament idea. God is looking after his, his people and tending to his people. And uh, so this idea of uh, abundance uh, is present in the Bible. You see it all over. Just a couple of examples from uh, Song of Solomon. Um, Song of Solomon is a kind of extended poem about, between a lover and his, lo- uh, and his beloved. And um, some people take it as representative of the relationship between God and his people. And in that book, the vineyard is the place of love and the means of expressing his love. So Song of Solomon 114 says, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna, henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. You know, it's the place of God's blessing. Or Song of Solomon 7, 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. You see all this abundance of blessing uh, for God's people. And all of this expresses God's love for his people, Israel, to, to whom he is covenanted in love. And Israel is to reciprocate. So Israel, in a sense, is, is in the vineyard, enjoying the blessings of the vineyard, but it also is the vineyard, producing the, the blessings. It depends how you use the, the imagery. But the, the Old Testament also has those warnings. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 uh, speaks about uh, the Lord's vineyard. 
And in verse 1 he says, let me sing, Isaiah says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard. This is God has a vineyard. And then in verse 5, we discover, well, there's a problem. There's no fruit in the vineyard. And verse 5 says, And now I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. And I, it shall be trampled down on a very fertile hill. And so God is saying, If the vineyard is not going to produce fruit, then I'm going to destroy it. And this is the idea that's repeated by Jesus with the fig tree. And so these are the prophetic warnings that come uh, against Israel, uh, both before Christ and then as Christ comes as well, uh, with the withering of the the fig tree and the cursing of it. Now in the passage that we read from verse 23 down to 32, we see one of the signs of the rottenness of the people of Israel in Jesus' time. And one of the signs of rottenness and fruitlessness is the inability to respond to the authority of Jesus. To not even see it, let alone respond to it. To come to him. To bow down to him. To put their lives at his disposal. People were not doing that with Jesus. Certainly the chief priests and the, and, the, and the elders were not doing that. And so Jesus is here in this temple with these people. Chief priests, elders. And they put this question to him. From which follows deliberation um, about, with Jesus about the nature of authority. So just two things I've got this morning. From those two sections. And the first is to notice how it is that uh, these men avoid the authority, Jesus' authority, through their self deceit. Avoiding Jesus' authority through self deceit. So here's the question that they ask By what authority, Jesus, do you do these things? And it's, I guess it's not a bad question in itself. You know, somebody. It's a question that we need to ask at other times. You know, if somebody were to turn up at this church and, and wants to teach and preach, then, then I want to know something about them. <laughs> I want to know whether they have some sort of authority behind them. Whether they have some sort of calling behind them. So they have authority to be able to preach. Where do they come from? Who set them apart? What sense of call do they have? But it's one thing to ask a a question about that out of reasonable and genuine concern. But it's another to ask out of a desire to trap the person that's questioned. And this is the motive of these chief priests and elders. They're not interested, you see, in the truth of the matter. They're only interested in the fact that Jesus has influence with the crowds and they want it to stop. Well, Jesus' response is surprising. But one that shows remarkable wisdom because, in a sense, he makes a deal with them. He says, if you answer my question first, then I'll answer your question. 
So Jesus asks them about John the Baptist's ministry. And this is a question that will expose the hearts of his hearers. Because you remember that, you know, as we've gone through Matthew's gospel over the last few years, um, in Matthew chapter 3, there was something, you know, we were introduced to John, and there's something kind of fearless about John. You know, he, he doesn't care what he looks like or what he's wearing. Uh, he, he just goes around and preaches, and he doesn't care who he's preaching to. He'll say, you brood of vipers, to the, to the Pharisees and the chief priests. You brood of vipers. He doesn't, isn't concerned about his, his reputation. And he calls people out in their sin. And he calls people to be baptized, to be forgiven of their sins. And then later in, in Matthew 14, we find him in prison. Because he spoke out about an adulterous relationship that Herod was having with his, his brother's wife. And as a result, he was put to death. He was beheaded, chopped his head off, and his head was put on a plate and brought up into the party that was going on. Horrific. So clearly John had developed this sort of reputation amongst people. And the elders know that the people saw him as a prophet of God. And Jesus knows that they know that he, the people thought he was a prophet of God. And so Jesus' question is, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And the interesting thing about this is that the answer to both Jesus' question uh, to the chief priests and their question about the origin of Jesus' authority is the same. From heaven. So John, Jesus' authority was from, from heaven. John's authority was from heaven. But it's clear that this is an answer the chief priests and the Pharisees and the, and the elders don't want to give. They don't want to admit to it. And so this intense discussion begins. Is John's baptism from heaven or is it from man? If they say from heaven, well, the problem is, why did they not submit to it? Why didn't they recognize that authority as divine? And they have no intention of doing that. The other answer is equally unpalatable. If they say it's from man, it creates a political problem. Because the crowds obviously believe that. And then as leaders, they would be at odds with the people. And they cared about what the people thought of them. And in all of this deliberation that's going on and trying to work out, the, 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 kind of navigate the way out of this, this dilemma, the horns of a dilemma they've got, none of them are interested in the truth of the matter. What is the authority that Jesus has? What is the authority that Jesus has? And the root problem is not an intellectual one. The root problem is a moral one. They will not bow down to the heavenly authority that Jesus possesses. Because to do so would turn your world upside down. Well, 
I think we can understand the problem and we can broaden this out. Because people in all walks of life will do this today. Uh, People may even be religious, may even attend a church. And can talk the talk. But in such a way that they never allow Jesus to really challenge them in their heart of hearts. You know, I've, I've met loads of churchy people in my life. I've met loads of churchy people in Solihull who don't go to this church. Maybe some of you are churchy people. I don't know your hearts. But as soon, but those people, let's talk about the people outside <laughs> for a second though. But as soon as you ask them a question that begins to approach the heart, then they become evasive. You know, sometimes as a pastor I, I meet people in the, in the church and, and you can become a bit evasive with the kind of probing questions I might ask you. It can be a bit uncomfortable. Because I want to get to the heart of things sometimes. And often the, the reaction is to become evasive. Uh, you know, I've met lots of people who say, well, you know, I don't need to talk about that because I, I have a deep faith, a very, but it's a very private faith. It's so deep, nobody can see it. You know, it's buried somewhere in this heart of mine. And uh, nobody can see that I'm a Christian. Uh, I just live my life the way I do. But inside, I've got a deep faith. I've met people like that. It's very private. I had a Scottish politician say that recently. (laughs) Much to my surprise. But you'll get people who will hide behind all kinds of things. You'll get people who, you know, I'm from a scientific world in the past, past career. Um, and people will say things like, I'm a scientist, you know, I, I believe in science. And so I, I'm not going to submit to the authority of Jesus. Or they'll raise difficult questions that they think gets them off the hook. Like, like why is there so much suffering in the world? Um, why should I submit to Jesus because there's so much suffering in the world? It's a bit of a non-secretor, but that's what people do. Or even hide behind positive encouragement. They'll say, well, I think your faith is a really great thing, but it's just not quite for me. I admire your commitment, but it's not really for me. Not bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of these, all of these answers are avoiding the real issue. Which is, will you submit to the heavenly authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? So the the section in the ESV uh, is headed, the authority of Jesus challenged. But actually what's going on here is that the willingness of the challengers to bow the knee to Jesus is being challenged. Jesus flips it around. And in the end, they don't give an answer. All they can say is, I don't know. (laughs) There's clever people, they say, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. The agnostic. Well, that's evasion. Uh, J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican, uh, 
priest of the 19th century says, the ruin of thousands is simply this, that they deal dishonestly with their own souls. Evasion is a kind of dishonesty. And people evade the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. Are you dealing honestly with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you dealing honestly with your own soul about Jesus Christ this morning? God knows how many people who might be here who are like that, who are not dealing honestly with their own souls. God knows. Well, this rejection of the authority of Jesus is brought into focus in in what comes next in the parable of the two sons. So let's see what it looks like to accept Jesus' authority in this parable. So here's a parable. Verse 28. um, A man with two sons. And he tells the first son, go to work in my vineyard today. And the son's first response is, No, (laughs) no, I won't. I'm not going. And how many of us have got children like that? (laughs) Or have had children like that? You tell your child to do something and say, no, I'm not doing it now. And uh, so you understand the problem, don't you? (laughs) Some of you got it coming. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because the man, the, the, young, the son, the first son, he, he changes his mind. And then he goes and he does the work. So it started badly, but it seems to work out okay in the end. The second son is given the same instruction by his dad. Uh, go and work in the vineyard today. And his reaction is different. His immediate response is, yeah, I'm go- I go. I go, sir. <laughs> uh, I'm going. So he gives a promise. He's going. And it sounds great, doesn't it? An obedient son who accedes to every request of his father. Except, he didn't actually go. He said he was going, but he didn't actually go. How many of you had children like that? (laughs) Your son or your daughter says, yeah, I'll do it. And then half an hour later, it's not done. So Jesus asked the chief priests and the elders, which of the two did the will of his father? And the answer they give is right. The first son did the will of his father. He may have resisted at first, but he got on and did it eventually. So what's Jesus' point here? His point is that it's entirely possible to give the impression you're submitting to divine authority by simply saying the right things. That's what the second son did. He said he was going to work, but he didn't. And that's what the chief priests and the elders were doing in front of Jesus. They spoke loudly about doing the will of God. They did certain public things to give other people the impression that they were doing the will of God. Look at Matthew chapter 6, all the public praying, all the public fasting with a long face, all the public almsgiving. All display so that people could look on and say, what an amazing priest, Pharisee you are. What a godly person you are. You do all of these things, yet in their heart of hearts. They had no desire to do God's will. No desire to serve him. No desire to put their lives at his disposal. 
what God really wants. What God really wanted. That wholehearted commitment to him. To be bound to him. To be tied to him. Give your whole life to him. To put everything you have at his disposal. They simply would not do. They put boundaries around. Say I'll do this but not that. So that's the second son. But the first, on the other hand, there are people who, like the first son, initially resist the will of God for their lives. But after a while, there's a change. And they give their lives to, to God and commit themselves to obedience. Initially, they resist, but in the end, they accept it and actually want to do it. And Jesus presses home this message. Because as it were, Jesus points to the people that the the chief priests and the elders despised. They, they, They hated the tax collectors because they were in cahoots with the Romans. They served the Romans. They hated the prostitutes because they were an abomination. And Jesus says, those people are getting into the kingdom before you. Before you. Now why does he say that? Well, because those chief priests, those prostitutes and tax collectors, they may have resisted at first. They may have said, what is this guy talking about? I'm not going to listen to Jesus. But then, as time goes on, as they listen to him more and more, Their hearts are turned round. They have a complete change of mind. And they repent of their sins. And they're baptized for the forgiveness of sins. They maybe listen to John the Baptist preaching. And through his preaching, their total mindset had changed. And they said, I must be baptized. I must be washed free of my sins. And now they're new people. Under the authority of God through his words. And now they believe it. And now they're doing it. And yes, they may have been tax collectors. May have been prostitutes in the past. But now they are God's people. But you chief priests. You elders. You holy people. You churchy people. What about you? For you there's been no change of mind. No change of heart. And all that they are doing is that they are saying the right things at the right times. And in their heart of hearts, they do not accept divine authority. Friends, what a danger this is in church life today. What a danger for each and every one of us in this room. You see, there are many people who, for whom to be a Christian is a matter of background or personal identification and are willing to say what needs to be said in order to be received by others as a Christian. But in their hearts, their heart of hearts, they're not really into it. And you know, people like that, they, they come to church now and again. But they have no desire to have their minds changed by Jesus 
And to be so changed that you are, you are full on for Jesus Christ. And fully obedient to him. Friends, let me, as we finish, let me press upon you. that This is not just a message for other people. This is a message for us today in this room. And let me close with three questions that I can put to you. How, how are you relating to the authority of Jesus Christ? Now you may be saying to yourself, yes, I agree, Jesus Christ has all authority. Uh, the Bible tells me that. Jesus told us that. But I need to say to you, I don't, I don't want you to receive that merely as a doctrine, as a teaching. Yes, the Bible says Jesus is all, has all authority. God doesn't want you to receive it that way, just as a doctrine. But to submit to the, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is a way of life for you. In every sphere of your life, you bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If he is not lord of every area of your life, he is not lord for you at all. John 3 verse 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's not that... It's not that obedience earns you eternal life but the absence of obedience will lose it and you won't get it so how do you relate to the authority of Jesus Christ secondly um, are you somebody who is all full of talk and nothing else you know how to say the right things at the right times that's a challenge isn't it it's a bold question but there are some people like that who can talk the talk with, and have this facade of spirituality but actually there's nothing behind it. But let me just read a warning to you from Matthew chapter 7. The end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives this warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is the kind of person that can say the right things, can even cast out demons, can do mighty works, apparently for God. But Jesus does not know them. Because they've never submitted to the authority of Jesus. So is Jesus the Lord of every sphere of your life? So that every part is submitted to him. Last question. Is there an area of your life this morning where you need to repent and change your mind? That's what repentance begins with, a change of mind. But it issues in obedience. So instead of resisting Christ's authority in that area, why don't you give yourself to him? What things in your life need to be changed? 
will go to him and say, I want to change. Bow before him, ask him to help you, and he will grant you the repentance you need. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow before him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this searching passage of scripture. Father, save us from the kind of people who are willing to make commitments about things and then don't see them through. Especially commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ and not see see them through. Oh Lord, grant us grace. Help us to see that though we may have sinned grievously in many areas of our lives, that there is grace and mercy with Jesus Christ. And he desires to be close to us and to draw us up to himself. So Father, grant us this grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.